We now have an opportunity to read God's Word together. Another wonderful psalm. A psalm that's a lot like last week's psalm, Psalm 96, in which we understand the joy of the Lord. And it is a joy to read God's Word when we come across words like these words. So please rise as we read Psalm 98. Hear the reading of God's Word. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sounds of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So far, the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And dear Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power and the joy and the majesty that we find in it. Lord, I pray that You would guide my words this morning. Guide them to the hearts and the lives of those that are here in this sanctuary, those that are joining us online, and those that will watch this at some point in the future. May, by the power of Your Spirit, shape lives, change us, sanctify us to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I have a fairly simple motive and that motive really, as I hope it is every single Sunday, is to show us something. Maybe I should say someone. You see, this psalm is all about Jesus. And you may not see it, it may not jump off the page, the word Jesus never actually is said in all of Psalm 98. But it's all about Jesus. So my goal this morning, I hope is that you know your Savior better today than you did when you walked in. That you would see His face. That you would feel His embrace. And there would be a response. And that response is worship. And so with that, I have a simple question for you this morning. What's the most amazing thing you've ever seen? <laughs> it can be anything. Just think, you don't, don't raise your hand and don't shout it out. It's not what we do here in Presbyterian churches. What's the most amazing thing you've ever seen? I remember I was a boy, and I was a, a scout, a boy scout. And uh, we were on a scout trip, and one of the things that we did as boy scouts, you may or may not know, is that you try to earn badges. And you do various activities, whether alone or with a group, and you try to earn these badges, and you have a sash, and you can put them on the sash. And the more badges you have, that means you're a better boy scout, right? So I wanted to get all kinds of badges, because I'm competitive, and I wanted to have way more than my buddies. Well, one thing that we did as a troop, as a, as a number of Boy Scouts, is that we would go camping. And you may or may not knew, I, know, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and, and right near Denver, there's these things called the Rocky Mountains. If you go to Denver, you see them. They're kind of always there. They're beautiful and they're gorgeous, but in the wintertime, they are deadly, and it's cold, and it's frightening. 
Well, one of the badges that we were to earn or what we attempted to earn was called the Polar Bear Award. Yes, you can figure it out very quickly that what the Polar Polar Bear Award is. If you don't know what it is, the Polar Bear Award is a difficult thing. You have to sleep outdoors, and you can have a tent, but you have to sleep outdoors at night below freezing. And it's cold. And it's freezing cold. Long story short, I did that, we did that, and we earned our award. However, the amazing thing wasn't the fact that I survived in the Rocky Mountains in the middle of the winter, sleeping outdoors, freezing. The amazing thing was, is as you go in elevation, and it's a cold winter night, and it's a clear night, you're able to look up. And you're able to see the stars in ways that you never could imagine. I remember that one night when I was lying awake, very, very cold, and I poked my head out of the tent, and I was able to see shooting stars. And my Boy Scout leader was awake too, and looking at the same thing. I didn't know it, but he was outside by the fire looking at the stars, and he started pointing out to me satellites going by. Have you ever seen a satellite go by? It's amazing shooting stars and just the vastness of the stars it was the most amazing thing that i remember for i grew up in the city i was a kid and i never really looked up until that day and i saw the universe and i saw saw more stars than i could count so what's the most amazing thing you've ever seen again it doesn't have to be nature Maybe it was a really amazing sporting event or a sporting feat or, or something. Or maybe it was the birth of your child or, or the, to see your grandchildren for the first time. I would actually love to hear some of your stories, not now, but at some point in time. I'd love, just curious, I'd love to hear what some of those stories are. But I want to take you to a, an amazing scene. I want to take you to the most amazing event in the life of God's people. At least up until here in Psalm 98. This event shaped their lives. It made them who they are. It made them a people. It gave them an identity. It shaped and made them everything. It gave them their DNA almost. It gave them their reputation. And so I want to turn, I want you to turn into Exodus chapter 14. And you, by now, understand the event if you know your Bible. You know where I'm going. But it's something that's the most amazing event in the life of God's people. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 21 to 30 from Exodus chapter 14. And I want you just to pay attention. Imagine, imagine that you've never heard this story before. Imagine this is the first time you've ever heard or read Exodus 14, starting in verse 21. And then Moses. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into the panic. Clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh. They had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. This is the most amazing thing that they've ever seen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going and and seeing a wall of water on your left, a wall of water on your right, walking through dry land which was once wet and covered by a sea, and then the most powerful army in the world was attacking you with chariots, horsemen, and that day it would be like F-22 fighter pilots coming after you because that was the most technologically advanced weaponry that an army had, bearing down on you to kill you. And Moses stretches out his hand and the waters crash back down and there wasn't one Egyptian soldier left alive. And they, fl- they were flung onto the beach like a piece of wood, driftwood on the beach. And that day the Lord had victory and He saved His people. This is the most amazing thing they've ever seen. The waters parted. They walked on dry land in Egypt was destroyed. And the Lord was victorious. The Lord revealed something on that day to His people. The Lord revealed His right hand of righteousness. The Lord revealed His love and His faithfulness to His people. The Lord revealed His salvation to His people. There was no mistaking that this was the most amazing event that they'd ever seen. The fact that Moses stretched out his right hand and the waters parted and they came back again. But then I want you to scroll your eyes a little bit down from Exodus 14 if you still have your Bibles open or your apps open. I want us to see something else that perhaps we might think odd. But Moses, after he had stretched out his hand a second time and the waters came crashing in on the Egyptian army and they saw these Soldiers like driftwood onto the beach. They recognized what the Lord had done. And I want you to go into chapter 15. Chapter 15 is a song. You see, in that moment, Moses burst out in a new song. A spontaneous song. A new and spontaneous song of the marvelous things that the Lord had done. The amazing things that the Lord had done right before their very eyes. And I want to point out a bit of that song for you. Verse 6 of chapter 15. What does Moses sing? And what do the choirs of God's people sing? As they have just witnessed this marvelous event, this amazing event. Do you see that in verse 6? Your right hand, not the hand of Moses. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now let us turn back to Psalm 98. So flip over there or go scroll up or press a couple buttons to get back to Psalm 98. So have in mind the song of Moses. 
a new song. Singing about the marvelous things that the Lord has done. Are you back in Psalm 98 now? Psalm 98. Look at verse 1. Do you see what the psalmist writes? Oh, sing. Sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. For He has done marvelous things. Then what does it say? Do you see that? His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. What is the most amazing thing you've ever seen? What is something that would cause you to spontaneously sing? <laughs> for some of us, you're like, no way, man. I'm not a hobbit. Or maybe a better way to ask the question is that we may not be able to turn and see the Egyptian army tumble and be destroyed in the sea but we can still turn around and see something. For the author of Psalm 98 could not see with his own eyes Exodus 14, but he could see and he knew and he knows this marvelous thing. You see, because the Exodus event in our lives is the fact that Jesus passed through sin and death for us. Just as Israel walked through on dry land, so Jesus walked through sin and brokenness and death. And He went before us. Just as the Lord parted the waters, so too does Jesus part the sting and victory of death. Just as the Lord brought the people out of slavery and bondage into Himself, so too the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings you to the Lord Himself. Can I argue that the most amazing and marvelous thing in your life is the life, death, and resurrection of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You see, because this is our Exodus event. He covers us then as He draws us to Himself. He covers us with new life and with His pinions of His wings. I so love that illustration from the psalmist. From, from the soft tips of the eagle's wings, he, he gathers us into Himself. And He nestles us in close to His chest. And He embraces us. And then the psalmist also says what? He restores my soul. He leads me to green pastures and prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. In other words, He gives us peace. He gives us Himself. This is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. Would it be better for us to say He has done marvelous things? Friends, there is nothing more marvelous. There is nothing more marvelous than that Jesus laid down His life for you. There's not a more marvelous thing than a righteous man sacrificing his own life for an unrighteous person. And he does it willingly because of his steadfast love and grace and mercy to you. And then the psalmist goes into a bit more detail about the marvelous things. What is this salvation? What does it look like? Just exactly what is the marvelous act of salvation consist of. So this morning, I just want to look briefly at some of those things that Psalm 98 tells us about this marvelous act. 
the psalmist once again picks up this theme from Exodus chapter 14, from the Exodus event. In this section of Exodus 14 that we read, we we heard that Moses stretched out his right hand across the sea and the waters parted. And then again, he stretched out his hand and the waters crashed onto the Egyptians. And here the psalmist is saying the very same thing. The Lord stretches out his holy hand and his holy arm. And the psalmist is saying it was not Moses, but it was the Lord who did these things. It was his omnipotent hand, his omnipotent and just arm that stretches out over the enemy, over the waters. It is the Lord God who continues to stretch out his hand to this day and works salvation and works out your salvation. But what exactly is meant by the right hand and the holy arm? What do we mean by that? What what do the authors of these particular books mean? by the holy hand and the holy arm of the Lord God. Now, I must be honest with you, there there is no way possible that I would be able to explore the immense amount of wealth that there is in academia about the right hand of God and the holy arm of God. If you want a really fun Bible study or you're really itching to say, man, I just want to do some serious, hardcore Bible work, go investigate and seek out the right hand of God of all the scriptures in the Old Testament and and the the immense illustrations that there are provided for us. So we obviously can't touch on all those. So this morning, I want to lean into just one element of what that means for us. The connection specifically in regards to Psalm 98 in Exodus 14 is where I want us to land this morning. There was nothing left of the army of Pharaoh. There's nothing left of the strongest military force in the world. And yet simply by the stretch, outstretched hand, the Lord swallows the enemy. One commentator says this. He commentates, he pretty much sums up Psalm 98 by one simple phrase. The victory of the divine warrior. The victory of the divine warrior. He is the divine warrior And as a divine warrior, there's nothing that can resist his holy arm. And victory is absolutely and totally secured in his omnipotent power and majesty. This morning, there are many thoughts circling about our congregation. There are many thoughts circling about our city, our state, our world. There's all kinds of philosophies There's all kinds of pressures to try to understand what is true and what is right. What can I believe? Who can I believe? What can't I believe? Should I believe you? Should I not believe you? And we're bombarded with this all of the time. What's true? What's right? What to do? We're trying to figure out how we look at the world and our landscape. These thoughts and these philosophies are attempts to to understand the brokenness of our world, I would put before you. They're attempts to put the complexities of life into a formula that can be examined and re-examined so that we can put people in a formula to re-examine and to examine over and over again. But this morning, I want to encourage us with something. As we find ourselves in those conversations, and as we find ourselves in those thoughts, could I ask that we return back to Psalm 98? That we go back to God's Word to find out what is true 
and what to do? Can we, can we return there together as God's people and as this congregation? May we look at Psalm 98 and see the reality of our existence. The reality of our existence is that we are all broken in our sin and misery. That's just a fact. We are in desperate need of a divine warrior. In Exodus 14, the people were in desperate need. They had nowhere to go. They couldn't go forward because there was an ocean. They couldn't retreat because there was an army. They needed a divine warrior and they needed the Lord's intervention into their lives. And He did. Because they could not do it on their own. And so we too oftentimes feel like we can't go forward and we can't go backwards. And so we too need a divine warrior. For not only have we lost the battle in our sin and misery, but Paul tells us that we haven't only lost, but we are one of those bodies that have lapped up onto the shore like driftwood. In our sin and misery, we are dead in the same as the Egyptian soldiers. But here the psalmist is saying that we now have an opportunity to sing a new song. Just as Moses sang, <clears throat> excuse me, sang a brand new song of the victory of the Lord over the army of Pharaoh, the psalmist looks forward to something. For he understands who he is. He understands where he came from. And he also understands where it's all going. There was another more marvelous event in the history of the Lord's people. And I've already said it and I've hinted at it and you already know where I'm going, but that's okay. A day when the Lord stretched out His hand, when, when the holy arm worked salvation for His people. A day when the divine warrior Himself died. A day when the divine warrior took the nails that were meant for me upon Himself. When the divine warrior took on my guilt and my shame, took on my brokenness, my sin, my misery. And then what did He do? As He took that sin, as He took that brokenness, as He took that guilt, and as He took that shame, not only of mine, but of yours. And He stretched out His hands. And the nails pierced through His holy right hand. His holy left hand stretched on a beam of wood. The divine warrior died for you. You see, it's here on the cross where ultimate victory is secured. Not just thrown into an ocean, but secured forever for all eternity. This is what the right hand of the Lord does for you. This is what the right hand of the Lord does for me. But then is here where we see salvation, right? But the author of Psalm 98 goes one step further. He said salvation has been revealed, but something else has been revealed too. Do you see that? It's not only salvation, but in verse 2, the Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed it, right? But then the very next line, he says, He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. So what's ultimately revealed? His omnipotence, His grace, His mercy, His steadfast love is shown for us. This is another thing that the psalmist tells us that He does 
We are to sing a joyful noise because the Lord shows His love. He shows His love for us as He stretches out His hands on the cross. But there's more to the story. What has ultimately been revealed? The psalmist says that indeed salvation is, and this is clear as now we gaze upon the cross, but there is, if I may, something else, something more that is revealed at the very same time. It's His righteousness. His righteousness has also been revealed and accomplished. For He is indeed the divine warrior. It's important for us to know and to understand and our myriad of conversations that we have on a daily or weekly or monthly basis about all of the information that we get, all of the books that we read or don't read, all of the talking heads that come to us. What is righteousness? How has it been revealed on the cross? If we were to look at righteousness just simply from a definition standpoint, if you were to look up that word in a dictionary or Google it, it's simply a quality of perfection, right? It's, it's being morally true. This is what we define righteousness as. So when we say God is righteous, it's saying He is perfect. He is morally true, which is absolutely 100% accurate and true. The Lord is righteous. He is morally true. But there's a deeper sense of righteousness that we must understand in order to understand Psalm 98. It's not just simply a, an academic thing or, or, or an, an emotional thing, but it's actually what is happening. I want to take us back further into the story. Even before Exodus, I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 3. We all know Genesis. Well, we're familiar with Genesis 3. Genesis 3, we're told of a rebellion. We're told of our rebellion against God's goodness, against His righteousness, against His morality, truthful life of who He is. But yet, we didn't want that. We wanted our own morality. We wanted our own truth. We wanted to be God. And so we rebelled. And in that rebellion, everything, everything was shattered. Sin shattered into our existence. Brokenness was everywhere as if there was glass shattering a tile floor. Our relationships with each other were shattered. Our relationships with creation were shattered. Our relationship with the Lord was shattered. In our sin and in our death, our status with the Lord crumples and we are guilty. Biblical righteousness then is not only the category of being morally true, but the restoration of all that was shattered. Putting the pieces back together again. You see, righteousness is also about restoration. You see, it's being, righteousness is about being in right standing before God and it's the restoration of relationships with one another and with creation that God's righteousness ultimately finds victory. The righteousness of the Lord will be declared victorious when that day comes, when things are set right again, when things are righteous, when relationships are set right between each other, creation, and the Lord. There's no level of being good or morally true that will restore these relationships. There takes something more, something outside of ourselves. We must have the divine warrior pick up our corpse from the battlefield and breathe new life into us in order for these things to be restored. In order for righteousness to, to really be real. 
in order for righteousness to, to have a hold in our lives. Therefore, we, along with creation, long, and the Scriptures tells us that we groan for this righteousness. We groan for this restoration. We groan for the Lord to set things right, for the divine warrior to slay sin and death and brokenness. And so on the cross, as we gaze back at the cross again, the divine warrior stretches out his omnipotent hands and claims victory. And salvation then is revealed in a relationship, in a person. Not in only a thought or a faith or a trust, but it's done and accomplished in a person. In a person named Jesus. And so when we groan with creation, we long for the day when Jesus returns and He ultimately and forever restores creation, our relationships with each other and with the Lord. This salvation is revealed. This salvation is revealed to us. And it elicits a response. If that's true for you, if it's not true for you, if it's true for you that you and your sin and brokenness can't do anything to get closer to God, and He picks you up off of the beach, and the Holy Spirit breathes new life into you, makes you a new creation, makes you have new clothes of holiness and righteousness, brings you into His family, adopts you as a son and a daughter, calls you His own, how do we respond? How do you respond if that's not your story? Psalm 98 has an answer for us. If that's not your story, then the end of the psalm says something to us. The Lord's coming again to judge in equity and righteousness. If you are not found in right standing, righteousness, if you are not found in right standing with the Lord, judgment is coming. And he will judge with equity. If that is your story, what's the response? One of the reasons I, I'm, I might be dating myself a little bit, but one of the reasons I do like Tolkien and his writings in uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and one of the reasons I like hobbits, I like hobbits for lots of reasons. They like to sing and they like to dance and they like to have fun and they are merry people. But if you read these books and not just watch the movies, because the movies do a really bad, they do really poorly portraying this. But when the hobbits are happy, when they're excited, they just break out into song. They just start singing with one another. They, they make up songs. They make new songs because of what's happening in their lives. They'll drink ale over a new song and they'll dance on tables. They'll, they'll sing as they walk on the road. Because they're happy. And so if our story is something similar, that we were once dead and now we're alive, I wonder why or why not? Would we not follow this, what the author of Psalm 98 does and the command that he sings, says to us, sing to the Lord a new song for you were once dead and now you are alive. Sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise with the lyre. 
with a trumpet, with a horn, with the drums, with whatever you can find. Bang it, play it, strum it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. For this is our story. This is what the divine warrior has accomplished for you. It's a day to celebrate. You see, in the richness and the grace of Jesus is where we find this. You see, what the divine warrior King Jesus has done for us on the cross does elicit a response. And I want you to take someone else's words over mine because I'm not the smartest guy in the world and I didn't write any of the books of the Bible. So I want to point us back then to that. I want to take us back to Scripture again and I want you to fast forward. So in your Bible, just flip to the right a few pages and go to the book of Romans. Or get in your phone and tap the couple apps that you need to unlock your phone and hit your ESV app and go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the first 10 verses of Romans. And we know these words, but it fits so well with Psalm 98. It fits so well with what the divine warrior king has accomplished for us. So if you find yourself there, and you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, who was rich in mercy, out of the great love with which He loved us, Think of Psalm 98 as he's revealed his love. This is what he's talking about. Out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead on the beach like driftwood through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not because of works, let any man should boast. So we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm sorry, we're in Ephesians, not Romans. Forgive me. Which God prepared beforehand. I I misspoke, so I'm a broken, sinful person as well. I'm sorry. I had Romans down somewhere else. But which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So forget that I gave you the wrong reference and just hear the words instead of my words. This, this is why I go to the Bible because I've just said to you that I'm not as smart as some other people. But it's in the richness of grace and kindness revealed to us that we see it's not our relationship, but it's the Lord's relationship with us that ultimately has victory. It's in this richness of grace and kindness revealed to us is that we see what's being restored and what's being revealed. As Jesus stretched out His arms on that beam of wood, all of creation groans. We groan. And as He entered the tomb and as He rose again, the groaning turns to singing. And so this then is why the psalmist in verse 7 of 98, Psalm 98, it's not just talking about people rejoicing or singing a new song. But all of creation now sings a new song. You see that in verse 7? 
Let the sea roar and all that fills it, fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Have you ever heard a whale's song? It's eerily beautiful. And it sings the praises of the outstretched hand of Jesus. The psalmist says that the sea will roar, that the rivers will clap their hands. Have you ever heard a river clap its hands as it tumbles over the rocks on a mountain stream? Have you ever heard the waves lap up against the beach as they clap over and over again? This is the song of nature that sings its praises for what the Lord has done. And so just as we make music with the guitar and the piano and the drum, so too nature sings its new song each and every day. Because there is a right standing restored. There is righteousness restored. And so may we this morning see the revealed righteousness in our lives. May we see the revealed righteousness in our neighbors' lives. In all of creation. And so what's the response? Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. Sing to the Lord for His right hand and His holy arm have been outstretched over your life. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we do indeed give You thanks and praise. And we lift up a new song. We lift up a song that declares Your glory and Your praise. May You fill our hearts. May You fill our lives with songs of marvel. Songs of joyful noise. And may we hear the whales sing, the rivers clap. Because You are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. This we pray in the strong and glorious and living name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.